Morning. Morning. You all right? Yes, good. Glad to hear it. So precious just to focus on the cross, isn't it? It's something we can easily forget as God's people. It's essential to our faith, it's essential to our salvation. And we still need to be reminded of it day and day again, don't we? We need to keep the cross central to our everyday lives. It was a good last song, well done. Cracking. Well, good morning one and all. I'm sure you're all aware that since January we've been working our way through our purpose statement, which is... Hallelujah. We'll get there. It's been eight months nearly. We're getting there. That's right. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine by September. Living life Jesus' way, by His Spirit, on His mission, for His glory. And you'll either be disappointed or, or delighted to hear that we've reached the final section of that, either way, on his, uh, for His glory. That's what we're going to be looking at starting today for the next few weeks to finish this series before we move on to something else. The church has been asking this question for since day dot, since Jesus left us to carry on with his mission. What is our purpose in life? What are we here for? And the church, some centuries ago, asked the question, what is the chief end of man? What are we here for? And they came to the conclusion that biblically the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Hallelujah. It's a glorious statement, to, in, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're looking forward to that bit. But to glorify God, the here and now, how do we glorify God? How do we do things for his glory? And that's what we're going to start looking at from this morning. <coughs> to start with, God uses the image of a vine or a vineyard to represent his people. He uses it throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. It's a very frequent image, either a vine or a vineyard, to describe Israel, his nation of people set apart from the world to point the way towards him. And then Jesus, when he came along, he continued that theme and he often use the image of a vine or a vineyard, either just in general discussion or actual parables, little stories, fictionalised tales he came up with to help get across his values and his teaching. He used the image of a vine or a vineyard to represent his people. It's no longer just about Israel as a separate nation, a blood race of people, some of whom could join. There are the people, there's Ruth and Rahab and people like that, they end up joining the Jews who weren't Jews initially. But it's specifically about a nation of people. Now it's about across the nations, through Jesus, the likes of us, non-Jews, to actually be part of his people from across the nations. And Jesus uses this image to get across his teaching. During his, uh, what's known as the final discourse, is the final evening before his arrest and trial, and then his death on the cross that we were singing about earlier, Jesus spent during that evening, he started bringing up the image of a vine again. As he was talking to his disciples, 11 of these guys were going to become part of the foundation of this new age of the kingdom, this new spiritual community that would encompass Gentiles, non-Jews, as well as the kingdom of Israel. And in Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples and trying to cut across these last few bits of teaching for these guys that they're going to go, go away with, after his death, resurrection, and he leaves them to it with the Holy Spirit, he's, he's using the image of a vine to help get across his fast, last few values he wants to get instilled in them, ready for this mission. So if you turn with me, this is what we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 15... We're going to look at this part of the evening when Jesus uses the image of a vine to talk to his disciples and tell them how they can fulfil their mission and how they can do it for his glory. John chapter 15. 
be from verse 1 through to verse 17. Here we go. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Yeah, Lord, once again as we open up your word and try to understand what it is you're saying to us, what you said to your disciples at the time, but what that means to us now, more importantly. Lord, I just pray you just make it clear to each one of us that you'll help me to help get that across, that I'll be speaking your words, not mine, Lord God. But may each one of us leave here this morning changed as a result after reading from your words. Amen. Can we have the uh, slide up, please, Paul? We're going to keep it simple, maybe, in a minute. If you can, in a minute, don't worry. I'm going to keep it simple this morning either way, even if you can't see the picture. I'm going to use an A, B and a C. I don't think we can get much simpler than that this morning. Firstly, we're going to look at A, abiding. What it is, when he says, abide in me, we're going to find out what he means by that. B, we're going to look at the bearing of fruit. If you abide in him, you'll bear fruit. What is that process? What is bearing fruit in practical terms in our lives as well as just in a pretty image? And thirdly, C, we're going to look at the crop. The fruit itself. We're going to look at what that fruit really means in practical application in our daily lives. Is that simple enough? Is that all right? I think that'll be fine. To be honest, I think this is both a sobering and an exciting passage. You can read it and go, oh, that's lovely, yeah, very much fruit, yeah, fantastic. Actually, it's very sobering, depending on where you stand spiritually. Either you're right with God in which case he talks about pruning, <laughs> which we'll look at later. Or if you're not right with God, then it's quite obviously very sobering what he's talking about here, and we're going to look at that in a bit more detail. But either way, this is something we need to take seriously. Opening up the Word of God should always, always be taken seriously, and it should always impact our lives. Otherwise, there's no point at all. There's no point in reading it. We need to let it impact our lives. 
Okay, this is for me as well as for anyone else. I'm not pointing the finger this morning, whatever I say, okay? I've learned a lot and been challenged a lot over the past couple of weeks, believe me, okay? So this is for me as well as for anyone else. But let's take this seriously and let's apply it to our lives. You're going to come with me? Yes, good. I'm glad to hear that. So the first question this morning, I'm afraid, the first question we need to ask ourselves at the end of the day, are we abiding in Christ? Are we living for Christ? We can give a pat answer sometimes, but sometimes, we're really, even as his people, we still need to think, am I really living for him? Am I pointing my life in his direction? Am I doing it through him and by his power? Or are we not? Hot or cold, Jesus gives us that, gives us that choice. We can be hot for Christ or we can be cold for Christ. He will not give us another option. It's very easy to become a lukewarm Christian, to do something down the middle. You kind of do your bit, but not everything that he asks of you. Jesus does not give us that option. He says, hot or cold. When he speaks to the uh, church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, you can look at it when you get home, but Jesus speaks to the various churches, and when he comes to the church in Laodicea, this is a church who have received from Paul through the letter to the Colossians. They got to read that letter, and the church in Colossus got to read the letter that had been written to the church in Laodicea. These guys were at the forefront of what was going on in New Testament times. They had become lukewarm. They had become indifferent. There he is. Fantastic. God's fruity people. That's us, hopefully. <laughs> Jesus said, because you have become lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, this church in Laodicea, you have become lukewarm, so I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a bit scary, isn't it? The king of kings said that to his church. He said, I will spit you out of my mouth because you become lukewarm. Jesus does not give us that option. We have to be hot or cold. It's all or nothing. You can take your pick, that's fine, but it's one or the other. We need to remember that while we continue this morning, and we'll come back to that later. So, A, abide. Abide in me. How do we do that? First of all, this is about relationship, remember. This is not some credit system. Nothing you do or say will affect how much God loves you. Always remember that. Whatever you do or don't do, or say or don't do, will not make him love you more, as the song goes, or make him love you less. It makes no difference. You imagine if I went up to my little Amy and said, right, I've got a list here. I've come up with a whole load of things. I'm, I'm Big Daddy and I know best. So I've come up with this list of things you need to do that are best for you and show, you how much, show me how much you love me. And if you do all of those, I'll love you. What kind of a dad would I be? What kind of a father does that make me? God doesn't do that either. No matter what you do or say does not affect how much he loves you. If you're his child, he loves you a bit. Okay? Always remember that. This is not about building up a credit system and earning his love. Okay? This is all about relationship. Hence, I've already read here, a branch on its own can't produce life. It needs to be a part of the vine to produce that life. I'm not much of a gardener, but I know that if I chop a branch off a tree, it ain't going to produce much fruit, is it? Okay? That's quite obvious. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's all about relationship. As his children, we should show our love for him by allowing his Holy Spirit to work through us, abiding in him to then produce fruit. It's almost like the Holy Spirit, I don't want to stretch this analogy too far, but it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the sap of the vine. If you look at the picture that Jesus is is demonstrating here, it's talking about the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser. And Jesus himself is the vine. It's a massive global vine, the biggest vine you can ever imagine. Okay, And almost just like he is the head and we are the body, as he describes us, Here, he is the vine and we are the branches. We're a part of him across the world, his people across the world. And the Holy Spirit, it almost, 
almost, don't, like I say, don't stretch this too far, the Holy Spirit is almost like a, the sap of the vine that is flowing through his people to produce the fruit. Jesus is represented here on earth by you and me. We are Christ on earth. We are his body. And the Holy Spirit flowing through us produces that fruit. Does that make sense? Like I say, don't stretch it too far. The Holy Spirit is not a life force. It's not some Star Wars-y thing. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third member of the eternal Godhead. He is a person. And again, it's about relationship. We need to build relationship with him. He is often referred to as it. He is not. He is a he. He is a person, a member of the loving eternal community of the Godhead, of the, of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if that image of a sap just helps get across what I'm talking about here, it's about relationship. It's about the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Therefore, the word abide... Notice Jesus uses this word nine times in this short passage. That's more than once for every two verses. He means it. This word abide is about dwelling. It's about living. It's about a continual fellowship with Christ so that his, works work, his, his life works through us to produce his fruit. It's a continual, daily, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with our Saviour, through his Spirit. That's as simple as that. It's about a continual living relationship with him. But how do we abide? How do we dwell with him? How do we cultivate that? Note in verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Again, he also, actually in verse 10, one other one that actually sums it up as well. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The most obvious way of dwelling with Christ, we heard last week, Julian did really well and just if his main point of last week was to get us falling in love with the scripture again, he did it for me. Thank you, mate. I've been spending much more time in the Word this week than I've done for a long time. This is where we spend time with Christ, isn't it? If you want to know what Jesus thinks, what he wants for you, what he intends for you, how he works through you, here it is. He is the living Word of God. In fact, it's from that passage in Revelation I read during worship this morning. He is the Word. Here is the Word. This is the living Revelation. These aren't just words. This is the Word. This is Jesus Christ. In Revelation here. We need to spend time with the Word, don't we? We need to read through it. We need to meditate. We need to chew on it. We need to let it impact our lives. We need to find study resources, whatever. Other people will help us understand what the Word is saying to us. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. Again, He is a He. He is a third part of the Godhead. We need to spend time with Him. It's about relationship. Another means of abiding is trusting God as well. When we know his promises, and we're going to know his promises by reading the Bible again, when we know his promises, stick by them, and trusting him is abiding with him. It's recognising who he is as our Heavenly Father, that he knows best, that he loves us regardless, and he's got our best interests at heart. It's about trusting him. Trusting him to fulfil his promises, rather than trying to take over and control our lives ourselves. Abiding is also about Quick confession of sin. Always, always, always keep a short account with God. Always. Always. If there's anything in the way, any kind of hindrance, sin hinders your relationship with him. Ultimately, that's why he died on the cross for us, so we could remove that big, great block of sin, an immovable block of sin that we could never get out of the way. But as we, as his people, we are still human and we still do sin, keep a short account because it hinders your relationship with him. And in a similar line, obedience as well. When you know what he wants you to do, don't faff. Okay? When you know what he wants you to do, do it. Okay? Jenny and I, we love you guys, but Jenny and I didn't want to leave City Church. 
we love what we're doing over there. Suddenly God's telling us to move. Hard as it was at the time, we did it because we knew that God knows best. Obedience is sacrifice. Obedience is worship. When you know what God wants you to do, do it because Father knows best. Okay? That's abiding. It's as simple as that. That is all abiding is about. Some people read this. It's a bit of an old-fashioned word and people don't know what it means. It's as simple as that. Note, though, abiding is not automatic. It doesn't happen by default. Jesus isn't saying it here like an assumption. Because you're abiding, this will happen. Or when you abide, this will happen. It's a request. Abide in me. He says it many times. It demands worship. It demands meditating on the word. It demands prayer, sacrifice, service. When you look at that list, it looks shattering. I get worn out with my normal working life and then church work on top and you get shattered thinking about doing more. But always be encouraged that whatever you do for him, he will always breathe new life through you. You'll always get the energy to do it. Okay. This is all about trusting him. This is about a lifetime, continual, daily, personal relationship with our living Saviour through his Holy Spirit. And it's as simple as that, abiding. So that's abiding. What about the B? Bearing fruit. This is what happens when you abide. How do we glorify God? I think I'd say that, certainly for this morning, the central verse of this text would be verse 8. Read it with me. It says here, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. But then also, skip down to verse 16. This is always worth noting at the same time. Verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, etc., etc. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. We have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit to glorify God. You and you and you and you have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit and glorify God. It's massive, isn't it? That's massive. Be encouraged. That's really exciting. That is so encouraging. He has chosen you to do that. But bearing fruit, this is something we need to note. Whether we bear fruit or not is not just about you. It always affects other people as well. In just the same way as we don't sin in a vacuum, sinning has consequences for ourselves and for others quite often as well. And in the same way, bearing fruit is not just about you. Whether you bear fruit or not, it affects other people at all uh, as well. For example, a prepared preacher is far more important than a prepared sermon. If I'm not in the right place spiritually over the past few weeks as I've been studying this, reading other books, researching, listening to other people's sermons, whatever, and as I, as I prepare this, prepare my notes, and even that right now as I deliver it, when I woke up this morning, I had to go in the other room and pray for a while because I wasn't giving me the chance to just get my head straight. I said, no, I've got to be prepared for this. If I'm not in the right place, no matter how many clever words I've come up here in my notes, that's all for nothing. A prepared preacher is far more important than a prepared sermon. In the same way, where I am spiritually affects how I leave my marriage. It affects Jenny. It's not just about me. It affects how I raise Amy. It affects her. It's not just about me. And in the same way, where John and David are as elders affects all of us. Where they are spiritually affects the rest of us. In the same way, if you lead a cell, where you are spiritually affects your cell members directly, very directly. Even just if you, you're not a cell leader but you partake in, sharing the, in leading some of the W's, where you are spiritually affects that W. It affects how well you lead it and it affects the other people who are on the receiving end of that. No one gets off lightly 
So if you're thinking, well, I'm not a parent and I'm not married and I'm not an elder and I don't partake in the W's of I don't go to cell, in which case, go to cell. Okay? You're missing out. Join a cell if you're not already. But if you think that doesn't apply to me, if you're not fulfilling your potential in Christ, we are missing out. Does that make sense? It's, it's as simple as that. If you're not fulfilling your potential in Christ, don't think, oh, it doesn't matter because it's, I'm, just the, I'm, I'm the loser. No, 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 no. The rest of us are as well. We all miss out if you're not fulfilling your potential. And it goes one step further than that. It's not just about the church. It affects the gospel as well. How we live our lives at home or in the workplace where we play, we can miss opportunities for the gospel. Here's a phrase to remember this morning. If you're all dried up and not fired up, okay, if you're all dried up and not fired up, you can walk past opportunities for the gospel that you would have seen if you were in the right place spiritually. It's quite sobering, isn't it? To be honest. It is. I know. I understand that. But please be encouraged. We can learn from this. Wherever you are, get right with God. We can learn from this. Because then it gets really exciting. Because if you are bearing fruit, we get pruned. You're supposed to be excited about it. Okay. I understand why. I understand why. Verse 2. He says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. There's always a benefit to it, isn't there? He knows best. Pruning is good for you. Pruning is good for me. Say pruning is good for me. Pruning is good for me. Say it louder like you mean it. It is. Because even if you don't feel like it, it's true. Because it's in the Bible and Jesus said so. He knows what he's talking about. We don't always feel like it. Pruning hurts. Okay? Pruning is not nice, but it is necessary. And if you're a gardener, I'm not, but if you're a gardener, you'll know what I'm talking about. Pruning is not nice, but it is necessary. It ensures a greater crop. Jesus here is talking about two types of pruning here. We'll look at those in brief detail just for a sec. The first one, he's talking about the removal of the dead branches. He's saying, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But also in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. There's two schools of thought regarding who he's talking about here. Either way, we can still learn from it this morning, okay? He could be talking about unbelievers, which would make sense. These are people who are not fruit-bearing, people who are not abiding in him. That would make sense, possibly. All we need to learn from that is, are we saved at the end of the day? That's all the question we need to ask. If, if he's talking about unbelievers there as the dead wood, that's who if that's who he's talking about, then that's all we need to ask ourselves. Are we saved? Do you truly believe that Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, part of the Trinity, came here at just the right time in man's history, as per God's plan, lived a perfect, sinless life. He was tempted in every way, but he never gave in. Perfectly sinless. And he died that horrible death on the cross as the perfect, unblemished lamb. The sacrifice to God always had to be a perfect sacrifice. Otherwise, it just would not, it's, it's just, that, that's not the point. He had to be perfect in order that he could take on our sin, yours and mine, so he could pay the punishment that we deserve to pay. If you believe that, and if you believe that he rose again, like we were singing about earlier, if you believe that, he rose again, and in doing so, as you place your trust in him as your Lord and Saviour of life, that you are now free from sin, from death, from shame. If you believe that, you are saved. If you don't, then get right with God quickly. This is the truth. Get right with God quickly. As if he's talking about unbelievers, 
Actually, personally, I believe more likely, he's actually talking about believers here. Note in verse 2, he says, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Scary, isn't it? In which case, these are people who are failing to abide and thereby failing to produce fruit. Do you remember last uh, autumn we were going through 1 Corinthians in, in chapter 5? We heard about the guy who's sleeping, a member of the church who's sleeping with his stepmother. Do you remember that story? We were learning about that. And Paul was recommending this guy be cast out of the membership of the church to learn his lesson out in the world. He's just, he's just saying, cut him off. Cut him off. God willing you come back, but cut him off. It's the only way because he is infecting the church. He is dead wood, he's bringing disease, and it's affecting the rest of the church. I believe that is what Jesus is talking about here. If that's the case, don't end up in that position. Don't sleep with your stepmother or equivalent. Okay? Whatever you're doing, if, if whatever you're doing, if you're not abiding, you're not bearing fruit, and you're causing a problem to the church, get right with God quickly before you get cut off. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. Okay? If you're genuinely saved, you genuinely cannot lose your salvation. People live in fear of this. There are Christians around the world who live in fear of losing their salvation and putting a foot wrong. That's not true. Jesus, just a few chapters earlier, in John chapter 6, he says, whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And in chapter 10 he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand, talking about his sheep. I haven't got time to go into it in detail here, and if you want to know more, then come and find me, that's fine. You cannot lose your salvation. The question should not be, can I lose my salvation? The question should be, am I saved? If you're genuinely saved, you are genuinely his forever. If you want to know more, come and find me. But either way, if Jesus is talking about unbelievers or talking about believers who are failing to abide in him and produce fruit, the message is still the same. Get right with God and do it quickly. That's the pruning of the deadwood. Now the pruning of the other branches, the ones that are bearing fruit. Left to its own devices, a branch can still bear fruit. We see it in the wild, don't we? Uncultivated plants still produce fruit. That's fine. God sustains nature. But cultivation does bring greater fruit, which is why we have vineyards. They're they're specifically designed in such a way to be cultivated, to produce more fruit than they would do in the wild. The removal of an entire shoot or a limb, it revitalises the plant by removing the weak uh, or possibly problematic plant. uh, branches and growth, or even just excessive growth. Because so much energy is being diluted and not being focused. This way, energy goes into further fruit and isn't being wasted elsewhere. Trimming the living tissue, and in practical terms in our lives, this could be anything, not necessarily anything wrong, it could just be anything that is robbing us of spiritual vigour, which should be focused elsewhere. Yeah? Trimming the living tissue, anything that is robbing us of spiritual vigour. Like I say, this isn't necessarily anything that's wrong, to something where God wants us to focus our efforts elsewhere. Don't prune like me, okay? I'm not a very good pruner. Ask my wife. When we moved into our house, there was a beautiful hibiscus plant in the garden. It was about... Tree. Tree. All right, there you go. See, it's bigger than a plant. <laughs> Emphasising the soil. What was it, about six foot or something? And uh, I, I didn't know. It was during the season when it wasn't in flower and I was weeding out my flower bed and I saw this big horrible looking woody thing so I pruned it to within, inch, within an inch of its life literally <laughs> but where was this horrible woody thing it was getting my way so I removed it then Jenny found out she didn't actually say the word divorce but I'm sure it crossed her mind at the time <laughs> did it? I think it did <laughs> now 12 years later it's two and a half foot tall it's got little green leaves on it and it has had flowers 
So I'm a man of faith, and I believe the glory, the glory of the latter plant would be greater than the glory of the former plant, all right? I'll stand in faith. I think, I think it's okay. But that is not how you prune, okay? I'll let Jenny do that now. Expert vine dressing is actually a profession, and it takes years to train to know the right cut, the right angle, when, how much, etc. God is the ultimate vine dresser, and he knows best. He doesn't need training. He's a natural, okay? And he knows best. Say pruning is good for me. You sound like you mean it now. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, the next question, therefore, is what will this pruning look like in our lives? We can now get it in picture form. What does it look like in real life? There's different means, to be honest, but it can just be conviction. You feel in prayer and in spending time with Him in the Word, and you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you that it's time to lay something to one side, even if you don't know why. That is pruning. Because often, as you lay one thing to one side, you focus your energies elsewhere where God wants you, you can produce more fruit. We, as New Frontiers churches, used to gather together at Stoneley for many years running. Thousands upon thousands of people. People think the Brighton Conference is huge, but Stoneley was ridiculously huge. In fact, now we know the point. It was getting to a point where it was getting too huge, wasn't it? And we used to camp there for a week at a time between us over a fortnight. Many, many thousands of us. But then after a while... The leaders in New Frontiers, and thank God for godly men who hear from God. Okay? These guys heard specifically from God that it was time to lay it to one side, to bring Stoneley to an end. And 2001, wasn't it? It was the last one. But as a result of that, the impact on communities around the local New Frontiers churches across this country, across the world, and in fact the growth of New Frontiers across the world, because the energy and the time and the money is being put elsewhere, the fruit is far larger than if we carried on having a happy holiday together, hearing some great preachers and having some wonderful music times. The fruit, because of that pruning, has been massive in comparison. That is pruning. Simple as that. It can be com- from conviction to lay things to one side. It can also become through cha- chastening and discipline. God is sovereign and he, he can change circumstances as now he feels. He can change situations. Sometimes the way we don't like it but sometimes it's good for us, for our character. It can be about circumstances that change, sometimes about circumstances that don't change. I'm sure most of you know I haven't been particularly happy in my job over the past few years, mostly because the shift work is slowly killing me. And I've got another set of nights coming up this week. Uh, I'm going to look forward to it with joy in my heart because God put me there. But this is what I've had to learn. Over the past few years, I've really struggled. To, I don't want to do this shift work anymore. I've got a little girl. I want to be around at the weekend where she is and so on and so forth. And I've been looking around for other jobs, but I haven't just wanted to go into any other job. I wanted to go where he wants me. And for some reason, he still wants me there. Just for a season. Okay, so I've had to learn why. I now realise that I was, ale- I was allowing my negativity to affect my temperament. And I was getting more negative and joining in with a negative atmosphere at work, because there's other people who aren't happy at work as well. But I've been joining in with that, and I've ended up feeding it, because I haven't been happy there. That's not what God wants. So he thought, no, you're going to stay there until you've learned not to do that anymore. Because it's good for me. It's good for my character. I've learned to find joy in being where he wants me, even if I don't want to be there. It's been a big life lesson for me. And I'm still getting there, to be honest. But I'm learning to find joy in, what, in doing what he wants me to do. And there is fruit in that. Because my temperament and my attitude has changed at work, there is fruit in the opportunities for the gospel that I now spot that I wasn't spotting a couple of years ago. I'm having more and more opportunities. A good probably half of the guys on station now have heard the gospel very, very forthrightly. Okay? They can't say they haven't heard the gospel now. 
We've been swapping books about. There's uh, Mark Driscoll's Vintage Jesus. I'm passing around to three different people who want to read it. Another guy gave me, a, he's an atheist, he gave me a book on humanism. So I read that. It's fine, I don't mind. I read it, I wrote my notes, told him what I thought of it. And then I gave him Tim Keller's Reason for God. Touche, my one's better than yours. Okay? And he has admitted it has given some serious food for thought. There has been fruit out of me learning my lesson through God pruning me. So thank God for that, to be honest. Jesus' intention has always been that we abide in him right from the start. But at the very least, we need to repent and receive his pruning with joy and learn from it. We need to get right with God and start abiding again and bearing fruit again. At verse 16, it says, We are chosen and appointed. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Say, I am chosen. chosen. And appointed. appointed. To bear fruit. For his glory. glory. That is your purpose in life. (laughs) Write it down and repeat it to yourself. So that's the bearing fruit. Time is moving on. Let's look at the crop. Our third section this morning. The crop. What is this fruit? What does it actually look like? Well, I've already started talking about character. Remember, fruit is for others, not just for ourselves. Remember what I was saying earlier. The vine doesn't produce fruit for it to eat itself. It provides fruit for others to eat and also as seed for reproduction to produce more fruit later on. But always remember, all this fruit is for others, not just ourselves. The first, I've come up with six points. It's not necessarily an exhaustive list, but I've come up with six points of what this fruit looks like in our lives. Firstly, character. It's a changing character. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 onwards. There's love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And each of those aspects, there are nine aspects of the character of God, of the Holy Spirit. And as he works in us, our character becomes more and more like his. So I want to do a little experiment. Close your eyes for a minute. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes for a second. I'm going to go through that list again, okay? And just seriously ask yourself, are you seeing that, the right amount in your life, of each of these aspects of God's character? And God willing, yours too. Love. Do you really know his love? For starters. Do you find it hard when you see other people expressing how much they're in love with him and they cry just thinking about him and you're thinking, I just feel dry inside. (coughs) Do you really feel his love? And do you find it easy to love others? Does that come easily to you? Or do you actually find, find that hard? Do you have to work at that? Joy. In verse 11 he says here, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you find joy just knowing that you are his? Regardless of what situation you're in, if you're somewhere you don't want to be but he's kept you there for whatever reason, do you find joy in that? Or do you find that difficult? Do people just know you to be naturally joyful with a big grin in your face, regardless of what you're going through? It is evidence of God in your life. Peace. Do you know his peace? In the previous chapter, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you know his peace in your life? Or does your heart feel troubled? Because that's not what he wants for you. Patience. Do you find it hard to be patient? Does impatience come naturally to you rather than patience? Do you find that difficult, either in situations or with other people? Kindness. We're talking here about favour or benevolence, about applying, applying grace and mercy 
to others when they need that? Does it come naturally to you? Or do you see it in others and wish you had a bit more of that yourself? Goodness. There is a difference between goodness and kindness. Goodness is about moral excellence. It's about expressing moral values. It's about doing the right thing, God's thing, despite the personal consequences. This is about not fearing man, but about honouring God in situations. Does that kind of thing come easily to you? Especially in the workplace, things like that, that can be very hard. Faithfulness, does that come easily to you? Do you find you're easily consistent or diligent? Can people rely on you easily? Or do they tend to go elsewhere because they can't necessarily rely on you? Does that come easily to you? Gentleness, do you find you have a gentle spirit with other people? Or do you find that does not come easily to you? And lastly, self-control, which can be a big problem for people, to be honest. Self-control. Do you flare up in arguments when things don't go your way? Or self-control with your own desires and lusts when you're being tempted? Are you able to apply self-control with his spirit? Or can you not? You can open your eyes now before any of you drop off. But I just trust the Holy Spirit has just prompted something, possibly, in you. And it'll be good during ourselves this week to go through that list again and pray with each other if you want to see more of that in your life. We need to move on, but have a look at that list again later. That's character, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Winning others for Christ is fruit. Paul in Romans chapter 1 talks about reaping some harvest among the guys he's he's writing to. Reaping the harvest, he's talking about saving souls. Jesus talks about the harvest in terms of saving souls. Winning others for Christ is not just about you, you, you being at that moment where they tick the box and they pray the prayer. This is just about sharing the gospel in such a way that seed gets implanted or gets watered a little bit more in people's lives. It's not just about going from steps 9 to 10 where they become a Christian. You could just be involved in steps 1 to 3 of just getting them to realise there is a God or realise that Jesus is more than just a guy. That's still winning others for Christ. You can still be part of that process, even if you're not the evangelist that wins the 100 at a big meeting at some point. Winning others for Christ is fruit. Thirdly, growth in holiness and obedience is fruit. In Romans 6, verse 22... Paul says, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sanctification is that process of becoming more and more holy, being transformed more and more to his glory. Growth in holiness and obedience is fruit. That's what the Bible says. Fourthly, giving and generosity. Romans chapter 15, Paul says, he's he's writing to... um, is writing about the Macedonian and the Archean churches and made a collection for the church in Jerusalem. And he's actually saying, he's saying what has been collected, the seal to them, this fruit, is in the original Greek. He's saying what has been collected by these churches for the guys in Jerusalem is a fruit. Just general giving and generosity of ourselves and of our money particularly here is a fruit. It always blesses others. Fifthly, service. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Good work is bearing fruit. As long as that good work is out of the right heart, we can put on a professional mask as Christians, can't we, and do the right thing and do what's expected of us. If it's coming out of the right heart in the first place, we're going to do it anyway. It's fruit. See, from abiding with him, we're bearing fruit. Service is fruit. And sixthly, on my list, praise. You are allowed to use fruity language. As long as it's the right kind of fruit. 
We're God's fruity people, and we are meant to use fruity language, as long as it's the right kind of fruit. Hebrews chapter 13, the writer says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name is a sacrifice of praise. Praise is fruit. Use fruity language, as long as it's his fruit. So that's just the six aspects of what his fruit looks like that I come up with this morning. And like I say, it's not an exhaustive list, but there's a character, there's the fruit of the Spirit, his character, and our character becoming more like his, is fruit. Winning others for Christ is fruit. Growth in holiness and obedience is fruit. Giving in generosity is fruit. Service is fruit. And praise is also fruit. What you say, there's power in the power in the tongue I was reading in Proverbs, going through my chapter of day in Proverbs, and there's power of the tongue we were saying yesterday. What we say affects other people, for good or for worse. Praise, natural, fruity, God fruity language is fruit. So in conclusion, a change of heart, if genuine, will produce a crop. Abiding in him will bear fruit. If we really want to glorify God because of who he is, not just out of a sense of duty or trying to earn some credits with him to get more love. If we're doing it out of a genuine, genuine reason because of who he is at the end of the day, because we love him, and we love him because he loved us first, then we do that by bearing fruit for him, by abiding in him. Let me just read that central verse again, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're not doing it to prove we're his disciples. It's just naturally, as we do it, it makes the world know who we are. There are elements that do conspire to limit our effectiveness for the gospel for bearing fruit. Sin does limit us, does hinder us. We still get tempted. Always confess, always deal with it. Keep a short account with him. Don't let sin linger. Cast it to one side. It just says that Hebrews chapter 12, just let me read those first few verses. I think it's important here. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, because it does, if we let it, it clings closely. But it says, lay it aside, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. We don't want any hindrance, we don't want any baggage. If we're trying to run this race of endurance for him, the more baggage we've got, the slower we're going to be, the harder it's going to be, the more painful it's going to be. Get rid of that sin. Keep a short account with him at all times. Temptation. Be aware before you even get to the point where you're sinning. God willing, you won't, but it does happen. But you can avoid it by understanding how you as an individual get tempted. What areas you get tempted in, what patterns the temptation comes in. I am very aware now of my post-sermon come down. And I've heard other people talk about it. One of my best mates said to me, beware of the post-sermon attack. I'm sure not everybody gets it. But I'm now very aware that this afternoon or this evening or even tomorrow, I'm just going to get this huge feeling where I just go, I want to be a non-Christian for 24 hours, and then I'll make up for it on Tuesday. Okay, I just get this feeling where I just, want to, I just want to do my own thing, whatever it is, I just want to do my own thing and not glorify God, and not actually worry about what he's thinking, I'm just going to read what I want, look at what I want, chill out, do my own thing, and then I'll be a Christian on Tuesday again. Now I know that feeling will come, I can be aware, well, I can be aware for it, of it, and I can protect myself. I can ensure that tomorrow morning I'm going to have a decent quiet time. I can put on worship tapes. I can text my mates if I need to. I can talk to Jenny. Whatever. As long as I know that that attack is coming, I can be ready for it. We need to be aware of how we get tempted, not just waft about and go, oh, I'll get tempted, or oh, I'll just 
skip close to the edge, but I'll glorify God by just walking along the edge of the cliff. Just run away, run away. Know it's coming and be aware of it. Be aware of the areas you get tempted in. God has set the choice before us. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It is as simple as that. We can be hot or cold, remember. We can't be in between. Jesus will not accept that as an option. It's all or nothing, life or death. But when, he to- when Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea, when he tells them, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm and I want to spit you out my mouth, he still says, gloriously, a few verses later, be zealous and repent. He gives them the option to come back. Okay? He always gives that option, that choice. And again, that choice is before us this morning, life or death. Do you want to be dead wood? Of course we don't. Do you want the smell of death lingering around you with no fruit? Professional Christianity is a sin because it's not from the heart. And so many people do it. I've done it. I've put on the mask on Sunday and gone off and done other things on the Monday. Come back on Sunday, put my mask on again. That's a sin. That's a sin. Do you want the smell of death lingering around you? How awful a thing it would be for God's people, his own people, bought by Christ's blood, to be dead wood. But it is possible, unfortunately. There are a lot of people who aren't saved that look and act like Christians as well. But sometimes God's own genuine people who are genuinely saved can let him down, can fail to abide in him. It's normally a process and it doesn't happen overnight, but a little splinter can become a wedge and we can drift and we can start to backslide. Don't let it happen. Don't be dead wood. Instead of the smell of death, would you rather have the aroma of Christ around you? Hallelujah. A life lived abundantly his way. Seeing his transforming wonders firsthand in your life and in others around you. Remember, fruit is not just about you, it's about others. My best mate, he said to me, the one question you should always be asking yourself, because I was, I was saying, I don't really know where I'm spiritually, I'm not really kind of fired up and don't know how much I'm learning. He said, at the end of the day, the question you should ask yourself is, am I growing? Where are you now compared to three months ago? Compared to six months ago? Compared to a year, five years ago? Am I growing? Let's really seek that aroma of Christ instead of the smell of death. If the Spirit has nudged you on anything this morning, whatever it is, be it effectiveness for the gospel, or if there's something hindering you, or just not fully experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, in your character, then I think we need to respond, don't we? I'm not going to ask individuals to stand or come forward or anything like that. I don't think that would be fair this morning. But shall we? Let's, let's all just stand, if you're able to. Let's, let's just stand. I'm going to pray. But why be tired us to hear this kind of message from what Jesus is saying in this chapter and to walk away from it unchanged. We need to allow it, in whatever small way or big way, we need to allow it to change our lives and impact us. Do you feel all dried up and not fired up? I've been there, I know what it's like. Do you need more of that sap of the vine? Do you need more of that Holy Spirit in you, working in you as you abide in him and seek to bear more fruit for him and for others, for his glory? Lord Jesus, whatever you're nudging our hearts on this morning, we just want to respond. Some of us may feel all dried up and not fired up. But Lord Jesus, we don't want to remain like that. We don't want to be dead wood. Lord, we want to be living in you and your life flowing through us to bear fruit to glorify you. But Lord, we do need your help. We can't do that on our own. Help us abide in you. Help us with our daily relationship with you. Help us tomorrow morning 
when we're not with our brothers and sisters. Help us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday onwards. Lord God, we want to live this life. It's not living Sundays Jesus' way, this is living life Jesus' way. And that's what we want to do. We want to do it for your glory. Lord, whatever it is you're prompting on us this morning, right now, it's going to be quiet for five seconds. Just say whatever it is he's prompting you on. Just say it back to him that you want to do something about it. Yeah, Jesus, we give these things to you. We ask for your help. We want to be serious about this. We want to be hot, not cold, let alone lukewarm. We want to be hot for you, living life for you, your way, for your glory. Lord Jesus, help us. Your spirit is welcome. Pour upon us and let us just see the difference over the next few days and weeks and months and let it be to your glory, not to us. Jesus, it's all for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'll email out cell questions tonight to all of you. I will do that for you, I promise.